Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. This is your brother Hussein Kamani. If you enjoyed listening to our podcast, please donate to Qalam by visiting supportqalam.com. We love being able to share this content for free, and your donation ensures we are always able to do so. Each podcast we produce has thousands of listeners, so the opportunity for gaining immense reward by supporting our efforts is endless. You never know who will be able to benefit from your donation. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept, and jazakumullahu khairan. Assalamu alaikum. One of the mashayikh, one of my friends, he told me that he did khidmah. This friend of mine, he's from Chicago, he's, he's a sheikh. He said, I once did a khidmah of a famous da'i in the UK, rahimahullah, he passed away. His name was Hafiz Patel. Righteous man. I met him in my life. Very pious and righteous person. Even though um, I wasn't so involved in da'wah and tabligh growing up, but the few times I did end up going to this markaz, um, Dewsbury, I recall once we went... And the sheikh, uh, his name was Hafiz Patel, he was giving a dars, and he noticed one of the students in front of him was from our institution. And since our institution was one of the first institutions in the UK, and our sheikh, Sheikh Yusuf, was also a teacher of Hafiz Patel, even though this man was like probably in his 80s or 70s and 80s, very old himself. But he, our sheikh, was his teacher and someone that he viewed as a spiritual mentor. When he saw one of the students from our institute in the gathering, and it was a massive gathering, there were like hundreds of people, he said, where are you from? And that person said, uh, we're from Darul Ulum, uh, located near uh, Bury. So he said, how many of you are here? So then he said, you know, there's a few of us that came. Uh, so he said, come forward. Every, anyone that's from that institute, come forward. And we all got up and one by one, in front of the whole crowd, he kissed us on the forehead. And he said, sit next to me. You are my honorable guest while you're with us. Very pious and righteous man he was. Um, so one of my friends, he said that one day I went to visit him. And since I was spending the night there, I requested if I can stay in the khidmah of the sheikh through the night. So they allowed me. He said that, I asked the sheikh, what can I do? So the sheikh said, there's only one thing you need to do. Wake me up for the hajjud salah tomorrow. That's all you need to do, nothing else. This friend of mine said, okay, that's easy. The hajjud, I had to wake him up at 2 or 3 o'clock. So I sat down, sheikh went to sleep. I told myself, if I go to sleep, I risk not waking up. So I'm just going to read the Qur'an. He said, I sat down, I started reading the Qur'an. 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, 12 o'clock, 1 o'clock, what happened to him? He fell asleep. Now, when he woke up, it was 15 minutes left to Fajr. And he said, Ya Allah, I was given one job to wake him up for tahajjud, and I bought to that up as well. So he said, I got up and ran to wake the sheikh up because there were still 15 minutes left for Fajr. Maybe he can praise tahajjud quickly in 5-10 minutes like we pray. Let me go wake him up. So he ran and woke the sheikh up. When he went there, the sheikh was missing. He said, I went to the bathroom, the sheikh was missing. This friend of mine, he thought the sheikh got kidnapped. So he said, I'm sort of panicking. What am I going to tell people? The Amin, that I was given responsibility to do khidmah during the night. Not only did I not wake him up for tahajjud, but he's missing. So he said, I started searching everywhere. And then I noticed there was some noise coming from the corner of the room. The lights were, the room was dark. He said, I went to the corner of the room and the sheikh was standing there in tahajjud salah. This friend of mine he went, did his wudu, and he stood behind the sheikh, and he prayed his tahajjud salah. After the tahajjud was over, the sheikh was also making dua. He was making dua, doing tahajjud, making dua, doing tahajjud. So this friend of mine said that we sat, I sat next to him, and we, uh, the adhan of fajr was called. Uh, we prayed fajr salah together. After fajr salah, when I went to greet the sheikh, he said to me, Oh, sleepyhead, finally you woke up? Like, oh, you woke up? MashaAllah, it's good that you didn't miss your fajr. No, he didn't say that, but he said, you know, you finally woke up? So then this friend of mine, he smiled and said, Sheikh, I have a question. Last night I heard you making a dua. 
It was such a beautiful dua. So the Sheikh said, I've been making this dua for over 20 years now. How many years? Over 20 years. And I make this dua for hours on end every night. Two, three hours every night. I just keep repeating this dua to Allah. I start my tahajjud, I pray two rakat, I make one dua, I make this dua. I do another dua, I make this dua again. I just keep making this dua. I asked this friend of mine, what was that dua? He said the dua he was making is, Ya Allah, tomorrow when the ummah wakes up, make their life easy for them. Whatever struggles they have, make it easy. Whatever exam they have, make it easy. Whatever deal they have, make it smooth. Tomorrow just make the day easy for them. Because if the day is easy for them, then they will be able to focus on your ibadah. Like whoever thought that there's a guy sitting in some corner of the UK making dua for the whole ummah. This is what you call love for the ummah. It's the exact opposite of what Fir'aun was doing. وَجَعَلَ أَهْلَهَا What did he do? Shi'an. He divided the people into, into groups. Now in order to establish total dominance after dividing the people, another tactic that Fir'aun did was فَقَالَ أَنَا رَبُّكُمُ الْأَعْلَى he claimed divinity, that I am your highest and greatest Lord. He claimed to be God. Some narration mentioned that in order to prove that he was God, he would publicly not eat in front of people. So they would see that this man doesn't even have a desire to eat and drink. But privately, what would he be doing? Stuffing, Stuffing himself, eating away. But publicly, he, he had this image that he was carrying in front of people. Some scholars, they say that he was able to hold up this dome, this facade, this facade in front of people because he had magicians that worked underneath him. And these magicians would use their magic to give the image, right, tahayyul, they would give this image to people that he was some sort of a god and he had some superhuman powers. One day this Fir'aun sees a dream. Because when you claim to be God, now you are making a claim against Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does not like those who claim to be God. Allah does not like a mutakabbir, someone who even has pride, let alone someone that says, I am the creator of the worlds. That's a position, that's a claim that's not suitable for any insan, any human being, any makhluq to claim such a great claim. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala puts into place a plan for the destruction of Fir'aun. And it all starts by him seeing exactly what's going to happen before it happens. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes it clear to him, this is what's going to happen and you can do nothing about it. Because you have no qudra at all. I am al-qadr. I will show it to you. I will do it. There's nothing in the world you can do about it. The way Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala deals with Fir'aun is ajib. It's not just a matter of destroying him, but it's making him admit how useless and worthless he actually is. That you have no say in what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala does. This Fir'aun sees a dream. And in his dream, in his dream he sees that a child from Banu Israel kills him. A child from Banu Israel kills him. He wakes up in the morning and he reaches out to his advisors, who are mostly people who were fortune tellers, magicians, soothsayers. These were the people that he kept around him. And they all said that there will be a child born from Banu Israel, and he will be the one that will kill you. So what the Fir'aun does is he gives a command that all male children from Banu Israel must be killed. All male children from Banu Israel must be killed. 
Some scholars, they say that this command of Pharaoh was enacted by killing them one year on, one year off. That they killed the children for one year, they let them live for one year. They killed the children for one year, male children by the way, and they let them live for another year. Others, they say that he saw the dream, he gave the command that all children should be killed, and then at some point he realized that this was just mass murder and he was not only... Um, causing frustration amongst the Banu Israel, but ultimately the Qibtis were seeing the Zulm and they would rebel against him. So he put an end to it. So it was a short period. Now it was during this short period that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala had sent Musa salam to the world. Musa salam was born. And the soldiers were going home to home searching for children. Musa salam's mother noticed that these soldiers would realize that she was pregnant. And she feared that if they saw her deliver a child, they would take her child away. So what these women would generally do is, when they were pregnant, and they feared that someone would kill their child, they would hide their pregnancy. Either by wearing extra garments, or by avoid going outside. They would just stay at home and send their family and their children, go do this for us, go do that for us, go do this for us, go do that for us. However, concealing delivery is very difficult. And once the child is delivered, it would become very easy. People would know, the neighbor would know, that person would know, this person would know, oh, that so-and-so person has a child, their child cries a lot. We can hear them crying when we walk past the house. So it would become, the sheed would, be, would happen very quickly, it would become very common. Musa salam's mother gave birth to her child and she feared that they will come and take my son and my son will be gone. This is a pain that is very real. We read the stories of the prophets and we don't pay attention to the difficulties those parents have to go through. Imagine how difficult it must have been for Amina, seeing her young son for the last time. She was given glad tidings that her son would be a prophet while she was pregnant. The trees would say salam to her. She saw dreams of malaika greeting her. She knows that her son is going to be the greatest of all mankind. And she won't see him grow older than six, seven years. That's it. That's all I'm going to see in my little guy. And he's going to fight battles that will be remembered till the day of judgment. He will fight battles that angels will stand by his side. He will go to meet Allah on Isra and Mi'raj. My son will be given the Qur'an. He will be one that people will follow until the day of judgment. And here, she's not going to get the chance to push her child on the swing. This is a very... I think about this sometimes. And I think to myself, subhanAllah, yes, without doubt, the Anbiya made great sacrifice. But I really can't understand what kind of sacrifice Abdullah must have made when he was passing away, far away from his wife, without even had seen the beautiful, handsome face of his moon, of his qamar, of his badr, his son, that mankind will always remember as Muhammad ibn Abdullah, the son of Abdullah. That Abdullah didn't get a chance to see his son's face. Here, Musa mother is worried that they're going to come and take my son away. I can scream, shout, ask for help, but nothing could happen. There's no way for me to save my child. There is no way at all. In our community, if someone tries to take a child away, you can call you know, services and get the police involved. And get, who is she going to call? Who's going to come for help? So at a time like that, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala comes to her help. Allah says in the Quran, وَأَوْحَيْنَا إِلَىٰ أُمِّ مُوسَىٰ Now, this mother of Musa salam, she knew that her child was going to die. All she did day and night was what? Huh? I mean, along with dua, what does a mother do when she knows that her child is in risk? She's crying. 
worry and crying, crying and crying. Allah says, وَلَا تَخَافِي وَلَا تَحْزَنِي Allah says to her, don't fear, don't grieve. Distrust us. إِنَّا رَادُّهُ إِلَيْكِ Your child will come back. Now you're probably wondering, where is he going that we're talking about coming back? So the first part of that ayah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَأَوْحَيْنَا إِلَىٰ أُمِّ مُوسَىٰ أَنْ أَرْضِعِيهِ That we revealed, or we inspired Musa alayhi salam's mother, Ummi Musa, أَنْ أَرْضِعِيهِ That you should nurse him. فَإِذَا خِفْتِ عَلَيْهِ And when you fear for him, فَأَلْقِيهِ فِي الْيَمِ Then put him into the river. وَلَا تَخَافِي وَلَا تَحْزَنِي Do not fear and grieve. إِنَّا رَادُّهُ إِلَيْكِ وَجَاعِلُهُ مِنَ الْمُرْسَلِينَ Surely we will return him to you and he will, we will make him from the prophets. Your child has a bright future. Now this story, Musa salam's mother is mentioned in the Qur'an at two places. Musa salam's mother is mentioned in the Qur'an in two places. فَظَنَّ الْمُسْتَشْرِقُونَ أَنَّ الْقُرْآنَ أَنَّ الْقُرْآنَ أَنَّ الْقُرْآنَ يُكَرِّرُ الْآيَاتِ دُونَ دَاعٍ Some um, Orientalists have claimed, this by the way is Imam Sha'arawi rahmatullahi alayhi's nadriyat on the issue. He says that some mustashriqoon have claimed that the Qur'an repeats itself without any purpose, without any reason. Why is there a mention of Musa salam's mother twice in the Qur'an? Wasn't once enough? I mean, look at the verses. In one place Allah says, we, I, I recited the verse to you that we revealed to the mother of Musa to nurse him. And then when you fear, put him into the river and do not fear, do not grieve. Indeed, we will, re- we will return him to you and make him from the Prophet. In the other place, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Surah Taha, إِذْ أَوْحَيْنَا إِلَىٰ أُمِّكَ مَا يُحَىٰ أَنِقْذِ فِيهِ فِي التَّابُوتِ فَقْذِ فِيهِ فِي الْيَمِّ فَلْيُلْقِهِ الْيَمُّ بِالسَّاحِ that, um, and we reveal to your mother, meaning, because Allah is speaking to Musa alayhi salam, إِذَا إِلَىٰ أُمِّكَ We reveal to your mother, مَا يُحَى That which was inspired, inspired or revealed. أَنِقْذِ فِيهِ فِي الْتَابُوتِ Place him into a casing. فَقْذِ فِيهِ فِي الْيَمِ And put that casing into the river. فَلْيُلْقِهِ الْيَمُ بِالسَّاحِلِ And that river will carry him to the shore. يَأْخُذْهُ عَدُوٌ لِي وَعَدُوٌ لَّهِ His enemy and my enemy will take him. Right? This is the plan. So why is the Qur'an mentioning this twice? Imam Sha'arawi rahmatullahi alayhi then explains, That in this part of Revelation, there is no mention of nursing. So you have one place in the Qur'an, let's, let's, let me put some, in Surah Qasas, Allah mentions to Musa alayhi salam's mother, nursing, an ardi'ihi. In Surah Taha, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala makes no mention of Nursing him. Okay. He then explains the reason is because that revelation came Qasas when Musa salam was born. This revelation came when it was game time. Now that nursing period is gone. The soldiers are coming. She is informed that the soldiers are here. They're looking for children. She's terrified. She's sitting at home. She must have been a mess crying and in tears. And Allah reveals a second time to her. Because she needs to put herself together to carry out this great task. So Allah now tells her exactly what to do. Um, uh, commands. It's not instructions like in the past where like you'll need to do this, you'll need to do that. What is Allah saying now? Number one, turn left. Then what's going to happen? 
Third thing, what's going to happen? That this is how this is all going to work. Follow this game plan, everything will go into place. We reflect over the ayah. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells Musa alayhi salam's mother, an ardi'ihi, that you shall nurse him. What's the benefit? Why is Allah specifically saying nurse him? Why? What's the reason? You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala could have said, a mother was going to nurse a child even if Allah said not to. Even if Allah didn't tell her to. If Allah didn't tell a mother you have to nurse your child, would she nurse her child? Of course she would, because that's what mothers do. You know, you nurse your child. Why is Allah specifically saying to her, as a part of the game plan, that in the three, four things you need to do, one of them is ardi'ihi, nursing. What was that? Act normal. She's at home, no one's really watching. Pacify the child, so people don't hear the child, the child is quiet, the, the noise doesn't spread, people, people aren't aware. Anything else? I like this. I'm going to come back to it in a moment though. Yes? Yes. Yes. And that's connected to what you were saying, Ghalib, which is the bond. So there's two more things. Before that one, I'll mention one more thing. The second thing is that he will go on a journey in which he may not be fed for a while, therefore nurse him thoroughly, properly. Feed him to the best as much as you can. So for this period while he's traveling, if he is not nourished, he won't become weak and feeble. The second thing is to establish the bond between the mother and child. Once that mother and child bond is created, you know, the Scott, uh, physicians talk about after birth, the benefits of skin to skin, that when there's a close proximity between a child and the mother, there's a bond that's created. And that bond is going to be very important so that when Musa salam reaches the palace, he doesn't feel that bond with other women. And he refuses them. I won't drink from them, they won't nurse me. There's only one mother that I have a bond with, bring her to me, I will nurse. And now, Musa salam, through this mode, will be reconnected with his mother. That's why if you take a little bit more tafakkur, a little bit more reflection on this, you can see. It's as if Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is telling us, O oh, mothers of the world, nurse your children, serve your children. They may go away from you in their life, but if you gave them that love when they were young, like a magnet, they'll come flying right back to you. And I've seen this in my life. Sometimes children, when they reach their teen years, they become a little disobedient, they act out a little, you know, that phase of their life kicks in where they don't want anyone controlling them. Mom, you don't get me. Dad, you don't get me. Leave me alone. You don't understand. You're a fob. I was born in America. Like people say all sorts of mean things to their parents. But if the mother and father nourished the child with their love, if they fed that love into their child, no matter how far that child goes, the child will always come back. But if you didn't take care of your child when they were young, you didn't let them know how much you love them, you didn't take care of them, you didn't sit with them, you didn't feed them, you didn't wash them. You know the love that a child experiences just by the mother taking a towel and drying the child's hair after he comes out of the shower. That's a very strong bond that's created. Where the mother says to her child, lie down, let me comb your hair for you. Let me put some oil on your hair. Let me, you know, do this for you. Let me do that for you. These are things that by doing that khidmah, that bond and that relationship is created. Then Allah says, فَإِذَا خِفْتِ And when you fear, put him into the river. Great things only come when people trust Allah. 
Imagine Musa alayhi salam's mother's heart. Today we read the story, you know, retrospectively, so it's an easy story to read. But if I was there, if I was Musa alayhi salam's mother, I would think, what kind of God tells me that he's going to save my child by putting him in the most difficult circumstances? What are the chances a child's going to live if it's alone in some sort of a, a vessel in water? And it's not just still water. If it was still water, then you would say, okay, you know what? It'll stay in one place. I'll come back two days later. My, my, my baby will be there. Allah is telling him, her to put the child into a yam. What does yam mean? A river. It's flowing water. Allah knows. What if the tide rises? What if the speed picks up? What if it hits a stone or rock? The child can flip and is going to die. Like Musa salam's mother, any, let's put her to the side because she is mashallah. But anyone else would think to themselves, oh gosh, what a bad plan. This doesn't sound like a good plan at all. This sounds like a very bad plan. You're telling me that I'm going to save my child by putting my child into a river. That river will carry my child to a sahil. Allah actually says at the end of it, what's going to happen? It's not like the river is going to go in a big circle and come back to your house. He's going to be carried to the shore. And who's going to pick him up there? Allah doesn't say Fir'aun or one of the guards of Fir'aun, that could have been some hope, some optimism there. Like, you know, maybe it's some waliullah that'll pick him up. Who is it? Ya'khudhu. la. My enemy and his enemy will pick him up. Allahu Akbar. I really can't do justice to the iman of this lady. What kind of person she must have been. She went against all odds, all logic. And she submitted to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. At that point, you might as well just kill your child yourself. At least if the child die in my hand in front of me, Allah knows what the ambiguity will do to me. Every day will kill me. As in Arabic, they say, Al-intidharu ashaddu min al-mawt. That waiting is more difficult than death itself. Did my child live? Where is he? What's happening now? Now Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in this ayah starts off by saying, Wa And we gave, and I'm going to translate this word, this in the Arabic form of it, we gave wahi ila ummi Musa to the mother of Musa. What does this mean that we gave wahi to the mother of Musa salam? We understand that in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses wahi as a divine inspiration and a mode of communication between Allah and the Nabi. That's what wahi is. However, the word wahi has a linguistic usage. And it comes in the meaning of Al-Ishara Al-Khafi. What's the meaning? Al-Ishara Al-Khafi. A hidden gesture. Um, or as some people have said, I'lam bitariq khafi. Informing through a hidden pathway. The whole idea behind wahi is that even if someone is sitting next to you, they won't know what's happening. Because it's through a secret channel. It's Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala communicating with His beloved servants through a tariq khafi, a secret channel. Now, in sharia it has a different meaning, and I'm not going to go into that because that will just um, add a lot more. However, a lot more discussion that isn't needed right now. In the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses the word wahi for other than anbiya alayhi salam. The word wahi is usually used in the Qur'an when Allah speaks to His creation. And not only is it used for anbiya, it's also used for others. So for example, 
Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala yuhi ila al-malaika idh yuhi ila al-malaikati anni ma'akum fathabitu al-ladhina amanu Allah says that and Allah revealed to thee awha yuhi to thee malaika similarly Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says in the Quran hunalika wahyun lil-mu'mineen there is a wahi used for believers in the Quran وَإِذْ أَوْحَيْتُ إِلَى الْحَوَارِيِّينَ أَنْ آمِنُوا بِي وَبِرَسُولِي That we inspired um, the, um, the Hawariyun, the helpers, the, help, the helpers and disciples. كَمَا أَوْحَى إِلَى أُمِّ مُوسَى وَإِلَى سَيِّدَةِ مَرْيَمُ لَيْسَ هَذَا فَقَطْ بَلْ أَوْحَى اللَّهُ إِلَى النَّحْلِ كَمَا فِي قَوْلِهِ وَأَوْحَى رَبُّكَ إِلَى Nahli. We don't only find Allah mentioning the word wahi being used for Maryam السلام, and also for um, the mother of Musa السلام, but we also find this word wahi being used for an nahl. What is nahl? Bees. Then he says, لَيْسَ هَذَا فَقَطْ Not only that, بَلْ أَوْحَ اللَّهُ إِلَى الْجَمَادِ أَيْضًا Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reveals to inanimate objects. فَقَالَ سُبْحَانَهُ وَتَعَالَى إِذَا زُلْزِرَتِ الْأَرْضُ Zilzalaha wa akhrajati al-ardu athqalaha wa qala al-insanu malaha yawma idhin tuhadithu akhbaraha bi-anna rabbaka awhalaha that Allah has inspired the land, the earth. Similarly we find the word wahi is used for um, internal communication between shayateen as well. وَإِنَّ الشَّيَاطِينَ لَيُوحُونَ إِلَىٰ أَوْلِيَائِهِمْ لِيُجَادِلُوكُمْ That indeed the shayateen inspire one another so they can come against you. وَإِنَّ الشَّيَاطِينَ لَيُوحُونَ إِلَىٰ أَوْلِيَائِهِمْ لِيُجَادِلُوكُمْ Similarly, وَكَذَلِكَ جَعَلْنَا لِكُلِّ نَبِيٍّ عَدُوًّا شَيَاطِينَ الْإِنسِ وَالْجِنِّ يُوحِي بَعْضُهُمْ إِلَىٰ بَعْضٍ زُخْرُفَ the word wahi isn't only used for divine revelation that prophets receive. It comes in different meanings as well. Sometimes it comes in its lughwi meaning, it's more linguistic meaning, and not only in its technical meaning. And the reason why this discussion is important is because since Allah said, وَأَوْحَيْنَا إِلَىٰ أُمِّ مُوسَىٰ that we revealed to the mother of Musa, some, some scholars have deduced from this that Musa salam's mother was a nabiyya. What have they claimed? She was a... Nabiya. And this is not the position of Jamhur Ahlul Sunnah wa Jama'ah. And if you wish to learn more about this issue, right at the beginning of the series in the Muqaddimat, in the introductions, I talked about um, the, this issue. That can women be Anbiya alayhim salam Why? Why not? What are their opinions? What are the proofs for and against? All of this was discussed right at the beginning of the series in the, uh, in the Muqaddimat. So in these ayat, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is speaking of inspiring. And this inspiration occurs between Allah and His creation. It happens until today. Some there are some servants of Allah that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspires their hearts. That inspiration can come in the form of dreams. The Prophet said, dreams are a portion of nubuwa because it's a secret communication from Allah to His creation. Sometimes it, for, it manifests itself in different ways. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspires the hearts of His um, of his servants, of his servants. Musa alayhi salam's mother takes her child and she puts him into this tabut and she sends him off. Now when she's sending her child off, even though she does trust Allah, she has no doubt in it at all. 
But in order to make sure, ensure the safety of the child, she puts a sabab into place. A sabab is like a means. She tells her daughter, follow the, uh, follow the vessel. وَقَالَتْ لِأُخْتِهِ قُسِّهِ Go and follow him. So, Musa salam's sister, she began to walk by the side and she was following to see exactly where this vessel would go. The narrations mention that Fir'aun was sitting by the Sahil with his wife and his wife could not have any children, neither could he have any kids. They were sitting by the, the, the shore and they saw a vessel in the water. Fir'aun sent one of his men that go and bring the vessel. They went, they brought the vessel in, and in the vessel there was a young child. From the skin tone, the scholars, they mentioned that Fir'aun was able to identify that this is a Bani Israel child. This is a child from Bani Israel. He's not one of ours. However, Fir'aun's wife said to him that this may be a child who brings peace to us it won't bring any harm to us. وَقَالَ تِمْرَأَةُ فِرْعَوْنَ قُرَّةُ عَيْنٍ لِي وَلَكَ لَا تَقْتُلُهُ عَسَىٰ أَن يَنْفَعَنَا أَوْ نَتَّخِذَهُ وَلَدًا Right? That let this child come in. One of two things will happen. Either we'll benefit from him as a child. He can serve us even if we don't keep him as a child. Let's keep him. Let's see what he grows up to be. If he's a good kid, we'll, we'll adopt him as a child. And if he grows a different way, he can serve the kingdom in some way. There's no point killing him. Like he's... We've got control over this kid. Once he's in our control, he can't harm us. We'll have an eye on him at all times. Fir'aun at the time reluctantly accepted. Why did Fir'aun accept? Some scholars, they say the reason why he accepted was because his wife really wanted a child. And he saw the desperacy in her. He couldn't think of a good solution. This solution presented itself. He accepted it. Another group of scholars, they say the reason was because Fir'aun tested the child. Even though this is a very weak narration, and actually many scholars have rejected it. But they say that Fir'aun tested the child, and what he did was, he put some, uh, put, uh, I believe it's gold on one side, and he put fire on the other side, and a tray, and he wanted to see which direction Musa would go for. And the narration claims that, these are quotations for those who can't see, right? The narration claims that he picked up the coal and put it in his mouth. And that's how Musa salam got the lisp in his tongue and he wasn't um, a clear when he spoke. There's a lot of issues with all of this. First of all, how can a, a child carry coal from the moment it grabs it and puts it in his mouth? Do you guys understand that? Like once you touch coal, what happens? What do you say? You say, ow! You don't say, let me taste that. Like even if you're a baby, you're like, ow, you get it. You don't touch it and say, have you ever put your kids on grass for the first time? No? For those of you who have kids, may relate to this. When I put my kids on grass the first time, they were terrified. Right? The, first, the second they felt the first poke, they started screaming and shouting. No one said, okay, go on, put me down. Let me see how this feels. So there are some um, clear um, questions with this particular narration that how could he pick up the coal and put it in his mouth? And even if he did put the coal in your mouth, it wouldn't just create a lisp. That would just destroy your mouth. Like, in order to get into his mouth, it would, have to, it would cause burns here, burns there. There are no narrations or proofs of Musa salam having these burns. If it was such a clear story, this would have been a known story. So there's a lot of questions regarding this particular narration. As for the lisp of Musa salam, it's possible that he was born with it. Allah creates His creation in different ways. 
Now regarding that list, we'll talk about later on because when we come to the part where Musa receives revelation, Allah talks about this in great detail. Some scholars, they say he had a lisp and a stutter when he spoke, but when he spoke to Fir'aun, Allah opened up his mouth. He never had any reluctancy. Other scholars, they say, know that that stutter was with him all the time. That's why Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala blessed him with a brother. That my, my brother Harun is more eloquent than I am in speech. Fir'aun took Musa salam into the home. And Musa salam now begins to grow and live in the family, in the house of um, the Pharaoh. We'll stop here today, inshallah. And in our next class, we'll take it from here and talk about the young youth years of um, from uh, Musa salam's life. And piece by piece, inshallah, like this, we'll work through his life. And I'm not hurrying or rushing so that we can spend time and reflect over the verses and the story of Sayyidina Musa salam. It's one that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shares in a lot of detail. And without doubt, there is great purpose in this detail. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala make us from those who reflect and understand. Wa sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Muhammad, assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi ta'ala wa barakatuh.